All right, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to Psalm 105 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you might be saying, wait a second, aren't we still going through the life of Joshua? Not Joshua, that's some other time. I'm planning for the future. We're not doing Joshua yet. We're going to finish Joseph first. But yeah, we are doing Joseph, but we're going to look at what some of the other books in the Bible have to say about the life of Joseph. We've been going through a series called Dreamer, and the idea behind it is that for every person, there is a God-given dream and a destiny that he has called you to. And that there are a series of character tests that we have to pass before we can walk into the fullness of God's calling on our lives. And we look at Joseph and we see how he went through these tests and how he passed them and how this applies to our life so that we can pass them as well and walk into the incredible plan that God has called every one of us to. Now this week, as I was getting ready for people to come over for the meeting that's being rescheduled, one of the things I had to do was fix a leaky sink. You know, when you have new people come over to your house, that's when stuff gets done. Your house can be falling apart, but if it's just your family around, it's like, ah, whatever. But as soon as you have a guest come over, it's like you pretend that you, you know, vacuum and that you dust and do stuff like that. So I had to fix this leaky sink, and it was a problem for me because a couple months ago, I was just using my kitchen, which I guess people do, and I noticed there was this water pouring out from the sink and onto my floor. I'm thinking that's probably not the way it's supposed to work. And so I opened it up, and my garbage disposal is just a sieve. There's just water pouring out of it. And I'm like, I can fix this. I called my dad, got some tips on what to do. And I'm like, all right. So day one was going to the hardware store. I bought the new unit and came back and couldn't install it because it turned out I needed some other stuff. So day two, I went, I got more stuff. And that night, I still couldn't install it or even remove it. The thing, I, I couldn't even get the garbage disposal out from under my sink. So day three, I call a friend with a sawzall. And he comes over, and he cuts it out, and then day four, I'm finally able to put it together. And I'm feeling pretty proud of myself because I think I, I'm a man. Like, I've accomplished something. I use my hands. I have fixed. I have created. I'm, I'm doing stuff that most normal people can do easily. And then this, you know, last week, it started leaking again. I'm like, man, I'm really bad at this stuff. I did a really bad job of putting it together. And every time I'm trying to fix something, whether it be on my car or around the house or anything at all, I always get really frustrated, almost lose my salvation. <laughs> and, and, and I think, like, why is this so hard for me? And I think, you know, when God wants to create something, what does he do? He just speaks it. And here I am struggling, putting all of my effort and all of my energy, doing a really bad job with my hands. But God, when he's creating something, he just speaks it. And I think, man, I wish I was like God. Like, leak be gone, and it was. <laughs> but this is what it says in Psalm 33. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And that word, uh, for creation, or heavens, that means everything. Everything that we see, it means that God spoke that into existence. That's the method that he used for creating things. Now, when I'm speaking, I have trouble forming complete sentences and expressing thoughts. But when God speaks, he's creating the universe and galaxies are coming into being. The, the principles, the physical principles that govern the way that the universe works, that our best minds spend their entire lifetime trying to unravel and understand God just spoke these things into existence. Now this week, you guys might have been following the landing of the probe on Comet 67P. And, you know, it was like 10 years ago, they launched the satellite out into space. And it's mind-blowing to me. Think about this. This comet is 510 million miles away from Earth. 
And they were able through calculus, and I always wonder why I took calculus classes, now I know why I use calculus, because if you do really well in it, you can plot out the orbit of a comet 510 million miles away from the Earth, and then you can send a satellite up there. From the satellite, you can launch a probe. The probe goes down and lands on it. Unfortunately, it lands in a shady spot, so it won't last long. But it's mind-blowing. This comet is moving at 135,000 kilometers an hour. And we were able to land something on that. Now, it's taken from all of human history until this moment to be able to get to the point of where we can land a probe on a comet just to try to see what the comet's made of. And God just said, comet. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Like our best efforts, our best understanding, our best job at creating and innovating, it pales in comparison to what God does. He is incredibly powerful. In Romans chapter 4, it says that he calls things into existence that didn't exist. It's not that he just takes raw materials and forms things with them. He speaks things into existence that didn't even exist before. When I was a kid, I tried to create a hoverboard. I watched the movie, I was inspired by it, and so I just looked to see what I had around the house. And I had a buddy board, those little foam things for the pool, and I had three empty mayonnaise jars, a couple of balloons, and some rubber bands. And so I built a hoverboard with that. Surprisingly, it didn't work. But that's all I had to work with. But when God creates, he's not like that. He doesn't go into a lab. He doesn't work on designing a prototype. He doesn't have it catch on fire during a test run and then redesign it. He doesn't have to write letters to get more funding and grants to continue the project. He doesn't have to focus group test something, get approval, mass market it. All he does is it says that he speaks and it's done. He says, let there be and there is. A couple verses over in Psalm 33, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. To you parents, that's especially amazing. Think about how many times do you tell your kid to do something? A hundred times? And then there's threats, there's bribes, there's crying, there's tears, and it still doesn't get done. God says something one time, and it's just done. God's words are so powerful that when he speaks, it is. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. God speaks, and there's an immediate result for it. And that's how people started to figure out there was something different about Jesus. When they see him walking around, and he goes up to the person with the demon. That, I remember that, that first time must have been just amazing, because there are other people in the ground trying to cast out demons at this time. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is there's these guys that are trying to cast out the demons, the sons of Shiva, and it says that the demons are like, who the heck are you? And they strip them naked, beat them, and send them off bloody. <laughs> that didn't go well for them. But Jesus just finds someone with a demon. He says, get out. And it's gone. Imagine people's jaws dropping when they see that happen. Or when they bring a crippled person to Jesus. There's been people, there's been doctors, witch doctors, everything else, trying to cure people for as long as there's been people. And there's this crippled guy, and Jesus just looks at him, and he doesn't do a Mr. Miyagi or anything and put his hands on him. He just says, get up. And crippled people get up. That's mind-blowing. Or think about with Lazarus, dead people. Jesus just goes up to dead people and says, Arise. And dead people listen and they obey and they get up and they go on living. All because what did God do? He spoke. His words are powerful. His words create things. When he speaks, it is done. And here's what, why I'm saying all of this. It's because you know that God's spoken a word over you. 
Do you know that there's something that God has spoken over your life? There's a calling, there's a dream that he's put in your heart. There's something he's called you to do, something that only you can do. And you know what that is because he spoke it to your heart. He spoke something concerning you, and because his words are so powerful, it will be done in your life. And this is what the prophetic test is. This is what we're looking at today. The prophetic test is the test of whether we will believe God's word and put our faith in what God has spoken over everything else in our life, regardless of the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in. You see, God spoke a word over Joseph's life. He gave Joseph a dream, a picture of the destiny that he was calling him to. But everything that happened after that looked the exact opposite of the calling that God had given Joseph. And Joseph could have given up, he could have been discouraged by it, but instead what we see in Psalm 105 is a a picture of what's going on in the life of Joseph as he's going through these times of testing. In Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, it says, He sent a man ahead of them, this is God speaking, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. And this verse is saying there are actually two things that are going on in the prophetic test. And the first thing is that it's a test of your faith. It says, until what he said came to pass, and that's, that's what that's talking about is God's word. God spoke something over Joseph's life. And he's saying, until that came to pass. Now, Joseph's faith in God's prophetic word over his life was tested by time and it was tested by circumstance. Over and over again, lots of things were happening. And there was two choices he had. The first thing he could have done was he could have given up. He could have said, too much time has passed. I'm a slave. I'm a prisoner now. On top of that, it's been 13 years since God spoke this to me. And my situation just keeps getting worse and it keeps getting worse. What God said must be wrong or maybe I heard him wrong. And he could have given up on that, walked away from the word God had spoken to him and then also given up on the destiny and the dream that God had given him. Or he could hold on. And that's what Joseph chose to do. He said that it doesn't matter what I see is going on around me. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in the words that God has spoken over me. Because I know that God's words have the ability to create. I know that he can call something into existence that doesn't exist. So in my situation, this might be what I'm called to, and I might be far from that. Like Joseph, he was supposed to be someone that reigned and ruled over people and was exalted. There was none of that going on in his life. But God had the ability to speak that into his existence in his life. We have to be those who choose to believe what it is that God has spoken to us. See, 19 years ago was the first time that God spoke to my heart. And what I'm doing today is really the fulfillment of what it was that God called me to. But in those 19 years between when God called me and to today, I've been fired, I've been looked over, I've been forgotten about, I've been sick, really sick physically, I've been overwhelmed, and I've made lots and lots of mistakes. And there have been times in my life where God's calling on me looked completely hopeless, and like there was no way that it could ever happen, over and over and over again. But I made the decision that I was going to believe that the God who said, let there be light, and there was light, has the ability to say, I'm calling you to this ministry, and he's able to make it happen. Now, some of you say, like, this is 19 years, you've been waiting for this. You're meeting in, you don't even know what movie theater you're meeting in, Sunday to Sunday. (laughs) 
Well, this isn't everything that I'm waiting for, but this right here in itself is miraculous. If you knew how incapable I was, you would be blown away by the fact that God draws people here every Sunday morning and that we see people healed, that we see people receive salvation from Jesus, that we see marriages restored, that we see people filled with hope, that people are recognizing the purposes that God has for their hearts. God has done amazing, miraculous things. And it's just the beginning of what God has called us to do. And there are going to be more trials. This winter, there will probably be more snowstorms where three people show up. There will probably be more movie previews that start in the middle of an altar call. There will continue to be things like that to happen. There will be people that wander in, dropping profanity, thinking they're walking into a movie theater, and then they see all of us staring at them. But you know what? It doesn't matter what it is that happens. It doesn't matter what opposition might come against us or the calling of God in my life. I am going to put my faith in what he's spoken over me. And that's what we all need to do. For every one of you, you have to come back to what is it that God has spoken over your life? And are you going to believe it? Are you going to believe that more than anything else? Are you going to believe that more than the hopeless situation you might find yourself in? Are you going to believe that the word that God spoke is going to be done inside of your life? And then the second thing, that's the prophetic test. The second thing that it talks about is the test of your character. It says, until what he said came to pass, the word of God tested him. So as Joseph is waiting for what God prophetically spoke over him to come to pass, for it to become reality, it says that the word of God is testing his character. In the word of God here, what it's talking about is that's the scripture that we have. Those are the commands of God. That's God's revealed will for us, for the church, and the way that we are to live our lives. It's saying that as we're waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled in us, as our faith is being tested, it says that the word of God, God's standard for the way that we're called to live, is testing our character. Because until we have a great character, we can't support the great calling that God has on us. Now, the Bible is something that, I mean, I absolutely love the Bible. I've devoted my entire life to studying it, to understanding it, to teaching it. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. I was doing that stuff before I was ever a pastor. It's kind of what qualified me to become a pastor. I was doing that because I love, I mean, I love Jesus, and I want to know everything that I can about him. I want to build a relationship with God, and I want to know the way that I'm called to live my life because my default setting for how I live life is not good. And so many people I know that have such an incredible calling on their life, they never walk into the fullness of God's calling on their life because they're living violating God's commands, and they don't even know it. Because you don't know the way that you're supposed to live your life just from being influenced by the culture around you or the way that you were raised or anything else. You know it by opening up the scripture and seeing and allowing God to speak to you and to begin to change your heart and your mind the way that you live everything. Now there are some things that we think of like murder. Uh, that's, an, that's a pretty easy one. Most people universally are going to agree that if you're going around murdering lots of people, you have a character issue going on. And you're probably not ready to walk into the fullness of God's calling on your life. Now, if that's something that you struggle with, I'd love to meet with you, probably over video. I don't want to be in a room alone with you. <laughs> but we'll counsel you, we'll pray for you, and we'll get you going. But there's a lot of other things that we don't think of as being a character issue that can keep us from walking into what God's called us to do. Like worry. My, I come from a family of worriers. I love my grandma. She's gone to be with Jesus. Man, she worried about 
everything. She could not enjoy her life because she spent every moment worrying about what was going on. If it wasn't something big like her kids being uh, foolish, it was like, is the broccoli you've been boiling too long? It's going to be all mushy and that will ruin her day because she can't stop thinking about something like that. The broccoli's bad anyways, Grandma. It doesn't matter if you boil it too much or not. <laughs> but... But here's what happens, is that was kind of passed on to me, and I worried about a lot of things. And then one day, I'm, I'm looking through Scripture, and I see in Scripture that it says that worrying is actually a sin. And that made me stop and think, because culturally, worrying isn't something that's bad. In my family, worrying wasn't something that was bad. That's what was modeled for me. But here, as I'm, I'm looking at God's revealed will for my life, I see that my worry is a character issue. Because you know what it says when you worry? It says that you don't believe that God is able to take you into what he's called you to. It means that you don't have faith that God will be your provision, that God will be your protector, that God will be the one who moves you along in life to the place that you're supposed to be. When you worry, what you're doing is you're taking your focus away from Jesus and his incredible power, and you're putting it on yourself and your own limitations. And that will cause fear to rise up inside of you. That will cause you to run away from everything that God's called you to do because, I mean, let's be honest, God hasn't called you to do easy things. He didn't call you to wake up, brush your teeth, and then sit on the couch eating cereal and watching cartoons today. Anybody could do that. If that was a calling, man, we'd all be awesome at it. He calls you to do hard things, things that you can't do on your own, scary, frightening, terrible things sometimes. But when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, because you've read the scripture, and the scripture it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, when I was reading scripture, I saw this is a character issue that I have. And I didn't just see that I had a character issue, but I saw the way that God wanted to deal with that character issue in my heart. And so what's he do? For me with worry, as I realized, I'm not supposed to be so much just worried about everything. When something comes up that worries me, I need to go to my knees, put my focus on God, invite him into the equation, and ask him to do the things that only he can do. And then the promise for that is that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. It doesn't say that immediately everything is going to be all better and you know, Barney is going to be singing a song holding your hand. It says that the peace of God is going to come over you. And you have the peace of God because when you're in the place of prayer, you have an encounter with the living God, the God who spoke and it was done. And you begin to realize that this is the God who loves me, this is the God who is the one that I'm calling on, and surely he is able to do that which he has said that he will do. So I can rest and I can have peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of my inabilities and my inadequacies, in the midst of the attacks, because I know who God is, and even better, I know that he's with me. Now, I, like I said, I love the Bible. Everybody should read the Bible. If you just read three chapters a day, you could read the Bible in a year. Think how many times you could read the Bible in the rest of your life if you just read three chapters a day. Or if you want to get, you know, make up for some lost time, you could read ten chapters a day and you could read it in four months. And I promise you this, your life will be absolutely changed as you read the Scripture and the Holy Spirit makes it become alive to you. <clears throat> now, like I said, I love the Bible, absolutely love it. But I'm also really thankful that God doesn't just speak to us through the Bible, but that he still speaks to our hearts today. Just like God spoke to Joseph's heart, it wasn't that Joseph turned to Scripture and was like, okay, and then God gave him his vision. It's that God came and he spoke something prophetically to Joseph's heart about what he was called to do. 
And there will be some people, unfortunately, that say that God doesn't speak anymore, that 2,000 years ago he went hoarse and he can't speak to us, which is just absolutely crazy. In the first Bible school I was going to, they were cessationist, and they said that everything that God has spoken is in the Bible, that if you, if you think that God told you something, but you can't give me a chapter and a verse for it, then it is not what God spoke to you. And so my thing was, well, and these are usually pastors that would tell me this, and I'd say, well, do you believe that you were called to preach? And then you can see their eyes, oh, you see the wheel starting to turn, and they're like, yes. I'm like, well, who called you to preach? And then you can see, like, oh, man, this kid set me up. <laughs> well, God. And I'll be like, all right, show me the chapter and verse where God called you to preach. God continues to speak to us today. He will never speak something that goes against what he's revealed to us in Scripture, but God speaks prophetically to your heart. God gives you a dream. God reveals the destiny that he's called to you. God speaks encouragement to you. And this is what happens. Now, Paul, he, Paul's dealing with a lot of the same kinds of things. And so in 1 Thessalonians, he wrote, and he says to those that are wondering, does God still speak to us? Or, or people that say God speaks to them all crazy. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. So the first thing he says is don't quench the Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit, which is God, came and dwells inside of you. And if God's living inside of you, don't you think he has the ability to speak to you? If it says that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, well, how is it that he does that if he doesn't speak to us? Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Listen, seek after God's words of what he's speaking to you. Listen for those things. And if someone tells you that God doesn't speak to you and they're your pastor, you need to find a new pastor. Because God absolutely speaks to us. And I would be terrified at the thought of going through life without having direction from God in it. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us today. Hallelujah. And a part of what he says is don't quench the Holy Spirit. And he also says do not despise prophecies. Now, not only has God prophetically spoken something to your heart, but a lot of times he will give other people messages to give to you from God to encourage you along the calling that he's put on you. In fact, that's one of the spiritual gifts. Paul says this is the one that you are to seek the most. All the other things are good, like tongues and healing and you know, interpretations and all these miracles are great, but the most powerful one is prophecy. So seek after that. And so don't despise prophecies. If someone feels like they have a word for you from God, be open to that and let them give it to you. But then after they give it to you, don't just accept it. It says that we're supposed to test the prophecies. And so this is what you do. Why do we need to test the prophecies? Because people are weird. I'm weird. You're weird. We all think we hear from God, and sometimes we kind of flavor what it is that God's trying to say. So you have to, you have to test these things. I love uh, Pastor Lee, my pastor and the starter of the Radiant Movement. He says, uh, the Holy Spirit's like water, and we're like a garden hose. And sometimes that garden hose has been out in the sun a long time. You know, when you take a drink from that garden hose on those hot days, that water tastes like garden hose. And that's what we are. Sometimes, even though it's the Holy Spirit that's moving through us, we can kind of flavor it, and we can kind of make it weird sometimes. So we need to test it. And the first way that we test it is, does the prophetic word line up with the word of God? If someone ever tells you that God told them to tell you something, and it doesn't line up with what God has revealed in Scripture, God did not tell them to say that. And actually, smile and say, all right, well, thank you, I appreciate that. And then you just kind of toss it out in the mental bin. You need to make sure that anything that you think that God is speaking to you or anything that anybody else has given you from the Lord is something that lines up with Scripture. I've met with several people, and they say, I think God wants me to leave my spouse. 
I'm like, can you show me? That's, show me a chapter and a verse on that one. It says that the Lord hates divorce. It says that he can change your heart. He can cause affection to come back into you again. God isn't calling you to leave your spouse to go be with someone else. But there are all kinds of, I mean, people get ideas, and then you say, well, this must be God, and, and so you start making it a spiritual thing. But you need to test everything that you believe God is speaking to your heart and everything that everybody else is telling you with Scripture. And then the other thing you have to test it against is your inward witness. Is, is the word that they're speaking to you, does that resound with your spirit? Is that something that lines up with what you know God's spoken over you? Now, I get people all the time that are giving me prophetic words. And sometimes it's really incredible things, and sometimes it's stuff where I'm just like, yeah, absolutely never. There is no way. I appreciate your heart and that you're trying to encourage me, and I don't say that. So don't be scared now if you want to tell me something. <laughs> but sometimes people are like, you're going to go plant a church on Mars or something, and I'm like, that really doesn't resound with my spirit. That is not what the Lord has called me to do. That's just kind of the hose has influenced the taste of the water there. So make sure that it lines up with that. And then also understand that we all prophesy in part. We know in part, we prophesy in part. The vision that God gave you, the word that God spoke to your heart, it isn't the fullness of everything that God has for you. It's just a glimpse of it. God didn't tell Joseph that he was going to be second in command over Egypt. He just told him that he was going to be elevated and that he was going to rule over people. He didn't tell him to be 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. Probably a good thing Joseph would have ran away. But he gave him the vision of what it was that he called him to. Now, there are people that, and you're going through your life, for, for example, in my own life, uh, with planting the church, when we decided to plant the church, I had lots of people who were telling me things like, you know, it's going to grow really fast, there's going to be incredible kingdom change, you guys are going to reach the masses. And then I had another word where it was, it's going to be a tough, slow start. It's going to be a struggle, but don't give up. So you know what I kind of threw away and what I kind of kept? I want the guy that says it's going to be a really awesome, fast start, we're going to be reaching thousands of people. Well, what happened was it was a really tough, slow start in the struggle. And you might look and say, well, these, seem like these are two contradictory kind of prophecies. Well, they were both apart. And now it's easy for me to see that it was going to be a tough, slow start, but that God was going to bring great growth. Uh, a year ago, we're almost double what we were running a year ago. That first year and a half was rough. But now God's starting to bring increase in what we're doing. And it's good that you get these different pieces because otherwise, if I just paid attention to people who say you're just going to grow like crazy and reach the nations, then when I saw the tough start, I would have been like, man, we failed. I would have been discouraged. But because I also had this other piece, I was able to understand that, yeah, that was encouragement for me in the tough time so that I would stay with it and continue to believe the word that God had spoken over us. And then um, the third thing is you need to hold fast to your word. So after you've tested the prophecies to see what God is saying, and he says to hold on to what is good. And what he's saying is you need to hold on to those words, those words that really are from God, the things that he's spoken to your heart, the things that he's given others to share with you from him. You need to hold on to those things. Write them down. Keep them in a journal. Put them in a book. Because what's going to happen is you're going to come up against resistance. There are going to be tough times as you try to follow out God's calling on your life. While you're waiting for the prophetic word that God that was spoken over you to come to pass, there's going to be a lot of opportunity and a lot of temptation to give up and a lot of opportunity to quit. And that's why you need to go back to say, not what am I feeling, not what am I experiencing, not what are my situations or my circumstances, but what is it that God said? Remind yourself of that. And say, this is what I choose to believe. First Timothy 
Uh, chapter 1, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding fast with a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And what Paul is telling Timothy, who's one of his disciples, is that there were prophetic words that were spoken over you, things that God spoke to your heart, and you need to hold on to those. Don't let go of them. Because by holding on to them, that's the way that you're waging spiritual warfare. You're saying, God, my faith is in you and in what you've said. And Paul says, there were other disciples that I had that they didn't hold on to those prophetic words. And because of that, it says that their faith was shipwrecked. They walked away from God's calling on their life. God had already spoken it. It was going to be done. All they had to do was wait for the time of testing to be completed. But because they took their eyes off of Jesus, because they took their ear away from the word that he had spoken to them, they began to feel overwhelmed. They began to be swayed by the storm that they were in. And eventually they walked away from faith. The saddest thing about the callings that we have in our lives is that we are the only people that can keep us from walking into them. It's not Satan that can keep you from walking into God's calling on your life. It's not your spouse or your employer or a sickness, an illness, or whatever else it might be, any inadequacies that you might have. The only thing that keeps you from walking into the fullness of God's calling on your life is when you give up faith in the word that God has spoken over you. Hold fast. Write it down. And when the time of testing comes, don't look at the test. Put your eyes squarely on Jesus and what it is that he's spoken to you. And you guys stand with me this morning as we're closing out. You know, I'm so confident that God will do in me what he said that he would do because of the cross. Because Jesus already did the hard part. Is that when I was still an enemy of God, when I was living a life completely far and separated from him, he didn't condemn me. He came and he laid his life down for me so that I could be restored, so that I could be made pure, righteous, and holy, so that I could be adopted into the very family of God. He's already made the sacrifice. He's already done the hard part. Why wouldn't he take me the rest of the way? You know why else? It's because he's given me the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the very presence and power of God resides in me, empowering me, strengthening me, leading me into all truth, equipping me for the ministry that he's called me to. Why would he have poured out his presence in my life if he was going to lead me to fail? Your faith in God's word starts with you believing, first of all, that he has called you. That he's called you a son that he's called you a daughter, that God's poured out his goodness on you. And this morning, if, if you're having trouble with that, if, if you've been going through the prophetic test and, and you've been feeling like giving up on what it is that God's called you to do, this morning he isn't condemning you for that, he isn't shaming you for that, he's simply calling you back to it. He's reminding you of the word that he's spoken to your heart. If that's you this morning, let's just pray real quick. Father, would you speak to our hearts again? Would you remind us of the thing that you spoke to us so long ago? God, we put our faith in you now. 
we put our faith in the thing that you spoke over us. And even when we can't see how, we don't know the way or when, we can put our trust in you. We can live our life with peace knowing that you will make it happen, that you have spoken and it will be done. Or this morning, if you're here, maybe it's just that first place. Maybe you have walked away from faith or you've never had faith in Jesus. Your faith begins first and foremost with believing that he loves you. That on the cross, he laid down his life for you to atone for your sins, to make it so you could be forgiven of all of your sins. And now he's called you into his own family. He's called you his son. He's called you his daughter. And all that you have to do is respond in faith and say, Jesus, I believe that you laid your life down for me. I believe that my sins are forgiven through you. And now I bend my knee and I submit my life entirely to you. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. If that's you this morning, if you've been feeling distant from God and you haven't had your faith in him, would you be bold enough to raise your hand with me this morning so we can pray together and say, God, would you come and do a new work inside of my heart? Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's pray this together, church. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that the cross, you demonstrated how great your love is for us. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I follow you now. In every area of my life, I follow you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a son. Make me a daughter. And let me know what it's like to be a part of your family. God, would you put vision in my heart? Would you show me what you've called me to? And strengthen me to be obedient to it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.